The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. Hello and you're very welcome to this additional episode of the Politics Podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With me today in the studio are the cream of our politics team with uh, all due deference to Fiat Kelly who isn't here but the rest are Pat Leahy, Harry McGee and Sarah Barden. Join us and with only a week to go to the referendum on the repeal of the uh, Eighth Amendment to the Constitution we wanted to take the temperature of the two campaigns and discuss whether anything significant is likely to happen over the next few final days that might influence the actual result. Um, Pat, yourself and Fiuk were discussing our poll this week uh, yesterday, but I had a couple of questions about it listening to you, listening to your excellent podcast. Um, one was I had a look back at the marriage equality referendum, a different issue, um, different kind of temperature around the whole thing. But it is worth noting that the uh, the final Irish Times poll in that case was eight points off in terms of the yes vote. The yes vote in our final poll was at 70% and the final vote in the actual referendum came in at 62. Now, our poll this week, when you strip out the don't knows, undecideds and and others, um, shows the uh, the yes vote in in this issue at 58. If they dropped by eight points, it would be 50-50. True, and if they went up by eight points, uh, it wouldn't be 50-50. I think with all uh, due respect, there's a fundamental misunderstanding at the heart of your question about what the polls do. Polls are not a crystal ball. They're not a predictor of what's going to happen in the future. They're a read on the landscape as it is at a point in time. So the poll before the marriage referendum took the temperature of uh, the political landscape with regard to that question, I think, 10 days in advance. In that last... Now, we simply cannot say for sure whether that poll was incorrect or whether the ground moved in the last 10 days and especially in the days right up to polling day. But we do have some uh, other indicators which tend to suggest that this is what happens in the run-in to polling day, especially in referendums. So never mind the marriage equality referendum, but if you look at the referendums that the last government also ran on judicial pay, on Oireachtas inquiries, on children's rights, on the Shannad, on the establishment of the Court of Appeal, all of those showed in the last last 10 days, two weeks, a week or so, depending on when the last poll was taken, they all showed movement as between the final poll and the result on polling day. Now, interestingly, for the purposes of this referendum, they all showed, uh, they were all proposals by the government as this, uh, as this referendum is. And they all showed movement away from the yes position. In some cases, quite dramatically, 8% was actually the least of the movements away from uh, the government position. So that is one thing that will give 
the no campaign some heart from these figures, that it is within, albeit that there's a substantial lead, it is within shouting distance, albeit a very loud shout, of uh, of catching the, uh, the Yes campaign. But it will require something like that to happen again. And I think delving into the data and considering the campaign and looking at the reporting of the campaign, that there are reasons to suspect that that sort of movement is less likely or at least less likely in those proportions in this campaign. Just one of those is the extent to which people's votes appear to be firming up. 96% of all voters say they are either certain, very unlikely or probably unlikely to change their votes. So this has been going on for a long time. The campaign has been going on for a long time in either declared or undeclared form. People are familiar with the issue. And I don't see in the numbers today the sort of volatility that those previous referendums would tend to suggest. Harry, do you see evidence of that? You've been following canvassers up and down the country and around the, the, the doorsteps. Do you see evidence of that that firming up process that I, Pat I, talks about? I, I, I think so, uh, but it's not all going uh, on the yes side, but I think it's 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 enough to kind of uh, bolster the, the yes campaign. Um, I've spent nearly a month kind of going uh, around the country just trying to kind of gauge the mood, gauge the temperature. And what um, is apparent to me is that this is quite unlike any other referendum that we've had in recent times. People have made comparisons with the um, same-sex marriage referendum 2015 and the divorce referendum going back to 1995 and previous abortion referendums. But I find it very hard to find a, a ready comparator. I think in terms of the, divorce, or the, the same-sex marriage referendum, it's the same in terms of form. It presents in the same way. The stylistic presentation by both sides is very similar. Uh, but once you get into the substance, you're talking about very different types of campaign, uh, a very different response uh, from those who are posing, who are going against it. And when you go back to divorce in 1995, the reason they, they compare them is because they were, number one, they were so close. But number two, there was this kind of urban, uh, mm. rural uh, divide, this Dublin and the Pale versus the rest of the country. And the figures were very apparent because in most Dublin uh, constituencies, it was 65% or thereabouts for a divorce at 35 against or three kind of working class constituencies that were about 58 um, and the rest of the country with the exception of the commuter counties around Dublin uh, went very and much. And I think Cork and Limerick City as well. Cork and Limerick City and Galway was kind of close but places like Wicklow and Kildare um, um, uh, County Louth were, were, were there were thereabouts in terms of, of supporting it. This time around it's, it's different. I mean I was in uh, Carlow and Kilkenny yesterday and what struck me uh, was the urbanisation of rural Ireland and you kind of forget about that. You go to a very pretty village like uh, Castle Comer in County Kilkenny or to uh, Lachlan Bridge in County Carlow and you kind of arrive in and then you see estates on the side of the town with big houses and big cars and you realise that you're kind of walking through Rohini except it's in County Kilkenny or you're walking through Ballantyr except it's in County Carlow and these are people who are commuting into Kilkenny and commuting into Mm -hmm. Dublin and when you start testing them for their views and their lifestyle and the way that they live they're kind of, even though they're living outside Dublin, they're kind of, they're, they're, their worldview is almost indistinguishable uh, from those in the capital. So that kind of rural-urban divide uh, becomes less apparent than it was in the past. And also the access to Dublin. I spoke to a very uh, nice woman yesterday who uh, moved to um, Castlecomer 25 years ago. 
and she was working in St. James's at the time and thought about commuting in and it was like impossible because of the road network. And now she looks around and so many of her neighbours are driving in and out to Kilkenny and in and out to Dublin uh, every uh, single day. So we went through those estates yesterday with kind of slightly younger demographic and the amount of, I was actually taken aback by the amount of people who were saying yes and lots of people saying no and it was probably 50-50 in most of those estates that we went through. But that was something that, that I hadn't uh, seen So does before. that mean you expect a less stark divide, urban-rural divide in the, in the final numbers than we've uh, had in previous issues on these kind of ethical questions? I, I, I think so. But I think Dublin will be hard fought. And I, I, I think Dublin's middle class, the, the very rich areas of Dublin, will, will, will be very strongly yes. But I think that once you start going into more traditional areas in Dublin, um, where Fianna Fáil were traditionally strong, I think that no's will not take take a, a majority, uh, but they will certainly uh, uh, take a fair wealth of votes from there. I was in Cabra uh, last uh, Friday and we were going to kind of a, a traditional part of Cabra and there were more yeses, but there were quite a few no's and very strong no's uh, as well as there were from a slightly, it was a place with a slightly older demographic uh, that would be seen as kind of, you know, traditional uh, Cabra. And everybody, uh, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people who were, you know, in their 50s and 60s who lived there. And a lot of them were in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, indeed, uh, were, were, were actually saying very strong no. And then the younger couples uh, were saying very strong yes. And then there were people who were exceptions to the rule. Sarah, you were in Rathfarnham, which I think the euphemism, euphemism the class euphemism is a leafy suburb of Rathfarnham, isn't it? A long established middle class suburb mm-hmm. with Michael Martin. Uh, yes, we were, uh, the Fianna Fáil leader was canvassing in a, a number of estates out in Rathfarnham with the local TD, John Lahart, Lisa Chambers, TD from Mayo, who we had here on Wednesday, and um, Senator Lorraine Clifford Lee. Um, and yeah, I suppose I was a bit taken back, first of all, that the leader of Fianna Fáil was actively canvassed, and this was his second canvass solely on the referendum. Um, he did another one uh, yesterday morning with the uh, in Dublin Bay South with Jim O'Callaghan. He's planning another one on Dublin uh, South, in Dublin South Central with the Senator Catherine Ardell. I was just a bit taken back that he was um, not just canvassing, but but actively canvassing, which you know you say, what's the difference? But he mm. was he was really um, making his point to the uh, to the residents in the couple of the states that we we visited. Um, for example, let's say we there was a lot of places who were a lot of families who uh, were kind of swinging between yes and no, they weren't necessarily um, very comfortable with the absolute absolutist position of the no side, but they weren't, they believed the 12-week 12, the proposition was too far for them. So what Michal essentially did was explain how he reached the position that he did, um, having been coming from a pro-life uh, background, as he said himself, uh, to the position where he made this seismic, seismic intervention into into the uh, referendum debate in early January. Um, and I, I, you know, it, it will come as no shock to me, Hall Martin, that the idea of him um, sending out leaflets or handing out leaflets um, with the Together for Yes sign, or indeed arguing the merits of repealing the Eighth Amendment on the doorsteps, will irk a lot of his party supporters and many within the parliamentary party um, but it seems that Michal now has made a very conscious effort bearing in mind that when he made his uh, contribution in January he said he wouldn't participate in the referendum Yeah so campaign. he changed his mind He now has not just changed his mind he's going all he's going gung-ho he says he has um, engaged in a bit of a dispute with RTE and because they have uh, 
declined to allow him participate in the referendum debates. Not because he's Michal Martin, but because they only have two debates scheduled. One was Monday night, one is uh, next Tuesday, which is with the Minister for Health, Simon Harris and Cora Sherlock of the pro-life uh, campaign. So they've only they've only scheduled two. So he, he just didn't make it into the equation. And the reason I suppose that he wasn't on the Monday night one was because he would have been debating one of his own uh, Mary Butler, TD for Waterford, was on the no side, so it would have wouldn't necessarily been the best. Well, it might, might have been interesting though for it, us. It would have been great crack for us, all right, yeah, but maybe not, maybe not for him. But um, he seems to be very conscious that there are posters all across the country with the picture of the Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald um, on it. He is conscious, of course, of the fact that if the referendum passes, it will be photographs of Leo Varadkar, the Taoiseach. Um, going across uh, the globe into international media outlets. And I think he's he's conscious that if he doesn't play a role in this campaign, that Fianna Fáil could potentially become relevant. And is it fair to say that he's putting argument. a bit more visible public effort into it than the Taoiseach is then? Well, the Taoiseach has done a number of uh, canvases in his own constituency with no media presence. Um, but in terms of um, what the Taoiseach has done publicly, he's done one canvas on Wednesday um, morning, which, as I said here during the week, was a complete catastrophe in a circus, to say the least. Um, there was a situation where we were chasing after him as he walked from Tower Street Station to government buildings. And he managed to talk to a, a sum total of about eight people, two of whom... Um, were yes voters but were leaving the country um, this weekend to go on their J1 visa another one who was ineligible to vote so luck didn't quite follow him on, on Wednesday I think there's an onus on the Taoiseach to I suppose debate the proposals and he has uh, as Pat reported earlier in the week has said that he won't participate in any debates and I think that potentially that could be something that da- damages him in the long run because we all remember, we all sat in this uh, room and written many a column inch about the former Taoiseach refusing to participate in debates and it became a situation where he was chased by a journalist dressed as a chicken from the Sun newspaper and this image followed Enda Kenny um, up until his departing day as Taoiseach and I don't necessarily think it's the, it's within Varadkar's interest to chicken follow... I think the chicken is is looking in the back of the wardrobe to pull out the uh, the, the costume again from speaking to said chicken. Um, but sources close to the chicken. Sources close to the chicken say they are more than willing to do likewise again. But look, I think he's Vracker is going to do a number of media interviews. He will do. He is intending proposals to do one with uh, this organisation. He is on the Six One News on Tuesday. He's on Sean O'Rourke. Uh, this morning. Um, he is doing the last word on Matt Cooper. So he's doing a number of high profile uh, media interviews, but he seemingly isn't willing to go as far as debate someone from the other side of the campaign. Pat, given all that, with six days to go before polling day, if you were in the no camp, what would you be doing to try and turn around the numbers as they are at the moment? And if you're in the yes camp, what would you be doing to try and staunch any further losses? I think you'd be, both of them would be trying to do a couple of things, some of them different, some of them the same. Uh, they'd be trying to get out their support, get out the vote on uh, on the day. They'd be putting infrastructure in place to get people to polling stations to, uh, to make sure that their supporters turn out uh, on the day because it's not the electorate that decides, it's the voters who go to the polls on, uh, on the day to cast, uh, to cast their votes. 
there's a little bit of an advantage inbuilt in that for the no side, I think. And that's because if you look at the age breakdowns in this referendum, they really are quite stark. I mean, yourself and Harry spoke earlier about the urban-rural divide. The biggest divide, this is a quite a starkly divisive referendum, and the biggest divide is along age uh, age grounds. If this referendum was held amongst those only amongst those under fifty, it would romp home. If it was held amongst those over fifty, it would go down in flames. And uh, older people tend to be better at turning out to vote. So that's a bit of an advantage for the no campaign. On the other hand, uh, the better off you are, or better off voters are also more supportive of uh, of the campaign. And they also tend to be better so do those at things cancel each ter- other out? turning out. That would require an algorithm such as I have not yet designed, Hugh. But, uh, but it emphasises the need, I think, for both sides to get their supporters out. The yes side, I suspect, uh, will try to concentrate on the things that have worked for it so far. That is the concentration on the hard cases, on rape and fatal fetal abnormalities and so, uh, and so forth. It will also play to probably its most powerful argument, given the state of, uh, of public opinion, which is that if you want to change Ireland's abortion laws, you must vote yes. We have discussed it Numerable time, numerous times in this studio that the single biggest message from all the polling, polling that we've done over the last two years, and it's evident again today uh, in this poll, is that there is an overwhelming majority of people who want to change their abor- uh, Ireland's abortion laws. Now, there are, as Sarah pointed out correctly earlier on, there is a minority of yes voters who think that 12 weeks goes too far and more of them that are slightly uneasy with it. But they are still saying that they are yes voters. They are still saying that uh, notwithstanding those concerns, they want to see a change in Ireland's abortion laws and they will vote for that. So if I was on the yes side, I would be making no voters own the consequences of their choice, that there will be no change, that you will be saying... So it to, might be that line of imagine what it's going to be like if this isn't... Well, it's very easy to imagine mm-hmm. what it will be like because it'll it will be, like be the, the same. It's right now. It, yeah. it, it'll be the same as now. Same as now. On the no voters side, I think you will see them push... Uh, uh, you, I think they will push the 12 weeks thing. They say that their research shows them that uh, many people are as yet unaware of it and regard it as extreme. So they will hammer the 12 weeks message and they will also hammer the don't trust politicians message. But they have yet to successfully break out of their own core votes. To an extent, the narrowing of the race is voters coming home to their natural homes. Mm. No, the no side still needs to get people to change their minds. That's not impossible, but it is a tall order. But it order. does seem to me, Sarah, that, I mean, you just look at the figures and essentially there is a 15-point uh, lead um, for yes over no right now. So that requires something dramatic to happen in the to affect the, the, the mood of the electorate. An extraordinary television programme of some sort, some revelation of some sort, something really quite dramatic need to happen. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, as Pat says, polls are just a snapshot in time, but I think... 
every poll has indicated a majority for repeal. I think you're right. It would, something really dramatic would have to happen in the referendum campaign to swing it towards uh, the no side. That's not to say that the result is a foregone conclusion and it's not to say that it won't be an extremely tight result because I envisage that it will be. But um, I do think that given given the efforts of those opposed to repealing, bear in mind those who are in favour of repeal haven't had a great campaign, needless to say. Those who are uh, against repeal were first out of the traps. They were well resourced. Their arguments were the exact same from for 10 years, 15 years onwards. Their message was defined. It was clear. Um, those who are in favour of repeal are chaotic, to say the least. Um, really? Chaotic is the word you'd use? Yeah, because... The, the, Unfortunately for them, they didn't have the political expertise that they needed to run a politically viable campaign. And what essentially happened was um, events, political events over the past two weeks with the cervical check controversy meant that the attention of politicians and their biggest advocate, Minister for Health, Simon Harris, was diverted. And so therefore, um, those crucial two weeks in the final three weeks of a campaign Nobody was discussing the referendum campaign um, and they seemed a little bit lost because of that, because they didn't have the support of politicians who they desperately, who they desperately needed. It, the pro-life campaign and the Save the Eighth campaign have had the message defined and it hasn't necessarily worked for them so far. Um they had a good week this week, but that was prob probably because the yes side had a bad week. The TV debate, um, they had a very clear strategy in the TV debate to make uh, Peter Boylan, the chairman of the Institute of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, he was their fire in line. And they succeeded in unnerving um, Peter Boylan in the, referend uh, in the referendum debate and their contributor, Maria Steen, had an exceptionally, did, did exceptionally well in the debate. Um, but... Over the next quarter, the next number of weeks, the politicians' eyes are firmly back on the referendum campaign. As I said, Micheál Martin is out, Marilyn Macdonald is out. There's a big event in Athlone in, um, on Sunday for the Finnegale, uh, for the Finnegale side. All of their heavy hitters: the Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, Mary Lou, Simon Harris, Simon Coveney, who, in fairness to him, for all the um, to and and fro he did at the beginning of the campaign, has now become probably one of Finnegale's strongest advocates for it. Uh, for the referendum, Pascal Donoghue, etc., etc., the list could go on. These guys are going to be filling our airwaves for for the next uh, number of days. Um, whereas for the Save the Eighth and the pro life side, the same people will be reappearing. Hmm. So I think it would take something essentially very dramatic for the. Do you agree with that? I think the, the, the Save the Eighth and Love Both campaigns ha have realised that they're not going to get the backing of all the senior politicians. So they have looked at al alternative ways. And I think their strategy has been composed of two things. I think they have, they have, they view the, the traditional media as being kind of against them or kind of slightly hostile. They, they towards can sort them. of adopt the mantle of insurgency in that kind of situation, which is not mm. always the worst one, especially these days. No, no. And I mean, we saw it during, like, for example, if you look at some of the, the European tre tre treaties, that the whole political establishment was in favour of them and you had a kind of a ragbag collection of people who were against, but they succeeded. And I mean, for example, one of the themes that they have pursued relentlessly has been we can't trust politicians. And that has had so much purchase on the doorsteps. Uh, there was a woman last night who said that she was, I wouldn't trust a politician to buy a stamp. And I hear it again and again. There's a cohort. I mean, the, the argument is a banal one. If you don't trust politicians, you can, 
you know, throw get them out of the next election. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a flagrantly anti-democratic thing to say, but it does have purchase uh, with, with, uh, with people. They've, they've invested a, an awful lot uh, on um, uh, the ground war. I mean, if you look at their campaign, so some, people, some of them have been canvassing since 2016 continuously. You know, they've been preparing for this for a long way. So they, they, they are trying to bypass the media in the way perhaps that Sinn Féin bypassed the media when it felt it wasn't getting a, a fair uh, crack of the whip. There's just a few things that I think are kind of worth uh, noting in terms of referendums in general. Uh, one of the things that, that surprised me, Hugh, was the actual turnout for the 1983 uh, referendum, which kind of defined the issue for, for, for my adult life and for, for, for lots of other people's adult life and it's been there for 30 years. The turnout in 1983, despite all the clamour and all the palaver, was only 53%, which was like extraordinarily low. Mm. And the one in 2002, the one that everybody says is the, abor- uh, the abortion referendum we forget, uh, the turnout was only in the low 40s. The only one uh, which was high was in 1992 and that was 68%. But the reason it was so high was that it coincided with a general election uh, that year. And just in, in general, in terms of polling uh, for referendums, it has been inconsistent over the years. I think this is a more substantial uh, issue that people care more about. And I don't want, I, I would hesitate to compare it, for example, with the Shannon election, which most people didn't really care about. Sure, and you, but, because but you, some you, people will use it as a protest like in, vote. In 1992, the, 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 the polling and the referendum was way off, way off, even in, 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 in the run-up to it. Uh, there were three issues uh, um, information travel and the substantive issue in relation to to suicide, and that third one was was uh, actually defeated. But the the polls in the run up to it were saying sixty five percent in favour, thirty five percent against. But having said that, people uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, the number of people who don't know or who didn't profess uh, an opinion on the dole, in my experience, has fallen, and people are hardening uh, their their views. And to me. Uh, what I saw in the opinion poll uh, when it appeared in the newspaper yesterday morning didn't surprise me because I think it reflects very well what's happening in the ground. I suspect that that gap will narrow in the next week and, and they, it could be three or four points between both sides when it comes to it. But, but if we and, did, and will be hard. For, but but if we did end up in a low turnout, for example, which seems quite possible, you know, a lot of people are just turned off by this or don't want to engage with it, which I think was explained some of those low turnouts and that, 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 that you mentioned there. I, I wonder, you know, who benefits or who doesn't benefit, Sarah, from a low turnout? Well, a low turnout would, would benefit um, the retain the eighth side. Um, I mean, that's acknowledged on, across the spectrum. It, it, but it, it depends, I think, on who makes up the low turnout. So anecdotally, hear from a lot of older rural men who don't want to engage at all and say they won't vote. Now, the no vote, no side would hope that they are natural, yeah, no voters and they would be. But many of them appear to be stepping back. You know, there is there is a sort of a movement feel amongst many young urban people on the yes side in the way that there was in the uh, the marriage equality referendum. And I think that they will turn out in uh, in big numbers and they wouldn't be traditionally big yeah, they, you wouldn't necessarily get a big turnout. That's the enthusiasm side yeah. of things, isn't it? So yeah. it, 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 it depends on who makes up that essentially turnout. happening with the younger voters. Um, I mean, we also, I don't know if anyone else saw, but there was a video outside the Temple Bar repeal shop last night where there was a queue for an hour and a half for people to get in to purchase. But that doesn't necessarily translate into people actually 
going out and using their vote. No, because but it is what happened, no, but what happened in the same on the, sex in the, in the marriage equality? Yeah, but it's re- reminiscent of it. The results of the same sex marriage referendum would say that, that we envisaged that all those who registered uh, in a last minute panic to vote in the same sex marriage referendum, that they were going to use their vote and that they were going to use their vote to uh, adv- to support uh, same sex marriage. That didn't translate when it came to the final result. That is not to say it won't happen at this juncture. But I think what Pat is talking about it is, is there are a number of men um, in a certain dem- demographic and within a certain age group who are saying this isn't for me, this isn't a conversation that I need to have. But they are, they're voters. They go out and vote at every single referendum campaign. They're more likely to vote than those who are queuing up outside a repeal shop in Temple Bar. I know one of the things I generally get a feeling from just observing social media, talking to people, that is there's a, there's a widespread sense of exhaustion around about this, you know, and you hear this from campaigners. Tell us about everything we feel. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, and in fact, there was a there was a welcome bit of levity um, this this week. And I, 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 you could sort of sense the relief at the levity. There was the incident with the big uh, N.O. no on the side of Ben Bulban. Not the first time Ben Bulban has been, been used, for propaganda has been used yeah. as, a, as, a, as, a, as a billboard for a campaign of, of one sort or another. Um, some, some people will know. Uh, there was also, I, I think we, we were really all taught a lesson as podcasters here by... Mm-hmm. If you really want to make an entertaining podcast, uh, it was pointed out to me in no uncertain terms on Twitter this week that uh, that we are going about it the wrong the wrong way. Uh, let's have a listen to this. You, you're going about it the wrong way. I'm going about it. Well, actually, you're going about it the wrong way as, as, as the guest on this podcast, Pat. Have a listen to this. When people talk about people buying abortion pills on the internet... This is not about abortion no, pills. No, I know. But I'm saying... Well, that's we have 40 they, minutes to do an interview yeah. to do about this. So can we talk about the issue or else I'm going home? I'm fed up with this. Listen. I don't go. You told me this would be a fair. It will be. It's sure. not a fair. Invitation. I'm on You're the same. Bollocks. You're a fucking bollocks. Can fuck off here now. You're. A, you told me yesterday no. that you wanted to support. You wanted to talk. I am again. I'm a no voter. Talk to him, Malani. Fuck off. Pat, come back. I didn't mean it. Really, I'm sorry. No, come back. Really, we can talk. No, Una Malali isn't here. So that was in in case any of our listeners didn't know that was uh, Amy. No, please don't. And please don't. Feel free to use bad language, by the way, because according to, uh, there was one person who said, hashtag blandcast. This is, you know, this is this is the way you should be doing your, uh, your well, podcast at the moment. We're expected to keep up standards. Eamon you know? Dunphy has a fine podcast called The Stand. For those of you who don't know, I think you can sign up to that one on iTunes as well, if you're interested. They're a bit shorter than, than, than uh, we thought they'd be. <laughs> that one was a, was, a, was a snappy 14 minutes long, okay. although as you will have heard in the conversation between himself and John Waters, it was scheduled for 40 minutes, wow. but, but it, only, it only lasted. That's almost as long as one of your podcasts. Thanks, thanks very much, Harry. <laughs> f- off. Even though they own <laughs> You b- um, that's enough of that we'll take we actually talk to each other like this all the time on this podcast but Declan our producer removes it all afterwards and sanitizes everything you know to, to meet, meet the Irish Times standards I got there was a sense of joy out of that today we only we only played it for you when you came into the when you came into the studio you hadn't heard it there, there, must there was a sense full, of release uh, there must have been a full it. moon today because, or, um, and yesterday because Matthew McGrath and Shane Ross uh, Fia Kelly had a fantastic report in the paper yesterday about a stand-up row that they had in the canteen in which some very uh, unparliamentary uh, coarse language. and unparliamentary language was used not by the man from Tipperary may I add who's always the, the model of decorum uh, but by the uh, fine member for uh, Dublin Rockdown and Minister for Transport who uh, 
give Matty a tongue lashing. One, one, one could also, uh, I suppose, observe that, um, uh, you know, whilst John Waters may not speak for uh, a majority of people on uh, on many subjects, I, I su- suspect that there's a lot of people out there who've been wanting to tell him and don't feed to f- off for many years. He's a much loved figure in Irish media. I have no idea what you're talking about, Pat. <laughs> it looks like everybody's storming out in me here now, so I'd better just wrap it up here now. That is it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks also our, to our producer, Declan Conlon, who has the welcome task of cleaning this thing up afterwards. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. We'll be back very soon. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks for listening.